0: You brought me curds back, that was nice. Cheese curds. Yeah. Yes. So this is the thing though with the cheese curds, is I always want them in theory. Like you always do your like Wisconsin cheese tweets and I get very excited yeah. about them as they happen. Yeah. But I mean, you know what I'm going to say? Those ones are not as good as the fried ones. Well, you of know?
1: course they're not. But like... What kind of it's a statement like, is that? It's just like
0: a block of cheese, you know? And I don't even know what's curded about it. It's well, just it like a... it comes
1: in curds. Like, that's how it's made. Like, the, the cheese curds that you eat raw that I brought back from you from the gas mm-hmm. station... Which,
0: to be clear, I ate all of immediately. Yes. So this is not actually Yes.
1: <laughs> like, why is it surprising to you that the plain cheese, the fresh, uh-huh. unaged uh-huh. cheese that right. is in curd form and has not been yet pressed into a block... Uh-huh. Why is that strange to you that you think that it is better fried? Like, of course it's better fried. Everything is better fried, that even Oreos. True. When's
0: the fair again? Is it almost fair time?
1: No. Damn. We can go to, oh, do you know what we could do? We could go to, like, county fairs. Mm-hmm. It's cheaper Just do a than fair the state to fair.
0: The, okay, the Minnesota state fair should have us, Right. Yeah. Shouldn't the Minnesota State Fair have us as like a an event? Yes, we should be there. We should podcast from the fair. This we year. should. I, I should think, get like an I think Oreo it's kind of a Oreo <laughs> dipped in butter or something, and just like sit there and you fire can get off take
1: fried butter.
0: <laughs> you, should, you can tip the butter in the in the butter. <laughs> You're saying
1: yes. No, what they do is they uh. take a stick of butter, mm-hmm. like an honest god stick right. of butter, and they dip it in sort of like a like a funnel cakey America. sort of pancake batter. <laughs> Uh. <laughs> and then they deep fry it uh-huh. and 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 then you eat it mm. um so do you remember when God you called bless me frigid north. <laughs> do you remember when you called me your cheat day friend yeah i've kept that with me
0: i know you have that it's true though like i feel like well less so now now i've just let myself go um <laughs>
1: well we're both but... married now it's 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 what happens
0: exactly um yeah no it used to be where i would like really try to you know. Keep it tight. Keep it high and tight, as they (laughs) say. (laughs) But, and then, like, I would come hang out with you, and it'd be like, hey, we're going to, like, three different lunches. (laughs) I'm like, hmm, all right, I guess we are. But but the problem here is that all the lunches here are delicious. Yes. And
1: And also, like, we record this beautiful podcast uh, within delivery distance of the best pizza on the planet, the hog and the bog. I
0: do love that hog and that bog. Yeah. God bless that hog. (laughs) Um, For those
1: of you who don't follow us on Twitter, the Hog in the Bog... And
0: please don't. It's terrible. ...is a
1: pizza. Um, So instead of red sauce, it has like an herbed olive oil, like with garlic and herbs, and then cheese, and then homemade brat sausage, and wild rice and mushrooms. It's phenomenal.
0: It's a real culinary landscape out here, is the point. Um, But... I saw someone the other day refer to the like the northern Midwest, like Michigan, Wisconsin, yeah. Minnesota, as the Oaf Belt, <laughs> and I, I the laughed. The Oaf Belt or Oaf, the Oaf? Oaf, as in like this OAF. Is where, this is where America's Oafs are. Yes. Oh. Which, frankly, Fair. yeah, no i i felt I felt seen. <laughs> it was...
1: I mean. I would call it the Ope Belt because mm-hmm. that's where at least like Minnesota and Wisconsin and a little bit of like yeah. the UP especially is where mm-hmm. you like when you bump into somebody or somebody. No, when somebody bumps into you, mm-hmm. you go Ope and then you say sorry.
0: <laughs> and then you hate them forever. Well, and you keep that passive no, because aggression they say op too. Bottled up inside you. Yeah. Minnesota nice it up. Um, Ope. Anyway. Whenever
1: should, I make a mistake on the show, I'm just going to say, oh.
0: Let's just, we should, we should honestly start doing the show in accents. Like, I feel like because we're not in New York City, we should really be playing up the Minnesota angle more. Not that we don't enough already with like a podcast that has a loon as a logo and I mean, stuff, if we were on but, glass
1: four of wine instead of just glass two, I would be we, speaking with a stronger Minnesota Yeah, accent. we should bring
0: out the you betchas and stuff like that. I think that that would be a nice folksy touch.
1: and can break out my diphthongs. Yes. Talk ex- about my boats. <laughs>
0: God damn, you're so good at that. Um, <laughs> I'm
1: from here. Like, it's yeah, not a thing. Like, I, I can't true. not be good at it. Like, yeah. it's just a thing.
0: Anyway, welcome to this episode of Print Run. My name is Eric Kane. With me, as always, Laura Zatz. You know what to do.
1: Hello, Laura.
0: Um, what, it's April 8th, I guess? Yes. Where it's, it's warm out today. Yes. I'm wearing shorts. Pink um, shorts. Yeah. They're
1: very high and tight.
0: <laughs> um... Ever higher and tighter as my body deteriorates. <laughs> um but <laughs> we've got a great show for you today, folks. Um it's gonna be it's gonna be good. We're gonna kinda just I mean, some of our episodes I feel we're pretty focused, right? Like More we structured. really kinda, we kinda get down to business and we've got a little bit of things like that today. But mostly we're just kinda checking in, you know, it's loose. It's fun. It's nice. We're feeling a little floaty.
1: Let's just put it this way. It is set to possibly snow up to 13 inches on Wednesday. Wait, wait,
0: wait, 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 13? Up to 13. I thought that it was, like, I heard, like, a dusting. No. It's not a dusting? No, no,
1: no. It's a dusting on, like, Tuesday night, and then it's, like, hardcore on Wednesday.
0: So my dog, I bought a puppy recently. not 13 inches tall. Well, right, but, so I bought this puppy a few I guess about a month ago now, a little less. Um, And, you know, he's a baby. It's this young, young puppy. And we've been trying to teach him how to pee outside, right? And because we got him in the early part of March, he only knew snow, right? Mm -hmm. Like, he was born in December. Like, this is a dog that has only ever seen winter, right? Yeah. And it's just so happened that he learned to only pee on the snow. Yeah. Yeah. And so the snow started melting, and the dog got very <laughs> flustered because suddenly didn't know where to go. So he'll be thrilled that the the snow is that back, snow
1: is and back. he'll once again have a place to pee. <laughs> That's nice. Yeah,
0: that isn't like the living room, but yeah. Anyway, um, so it's going to be a fun episode today, folks. We're just going to hang out a little bit. We've got a couple little things to talk about, but we're
1: celebrating the um, warm weather before it gets cold again, and then it'll get warm a third time.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. How about the rundown?
1: Okay, so we are. As yet, still the beginning of April, which means we have a full three. means you
0: are weeks away from seeing episodes.
1: (laughs) Shut up, Eric. We We are three, count them, three episodes, special episodes for you this month. We've got our query show, as per usual, our first pages show, also as per usual. And then our um, third episode is kind of like, it's kind of a floater, kind of a bonus. Um, So if you have suggestions for that one or requests... Uh, send us an email. We're at printrunpodcasts at gmail.com. You can also at us on Twitter. If you would like for us to critique your first page or your query or have any other questions, also email them or tweet them to us. Um, And then finally, of course, um, please leave us some reviews. Ideally, five stars. That would be great.
0: As I always say, if you want to leave four stars or three stars, or dare I say even lower – just come yell at me on the internet. Yeah. That's way better That do. is way better.
1: Huh? <laughs> that is much better.
0: But, Laura. Yeah. It's been a while since I've asked you this very basic question. And yeah. I'm interested in the answer because, I don't know, it's always interesting to kind of hear where you're at in the broader publishing landscape. Sure. But just basically, what are you reading right now? And I've got, like, for the first time in my life, I'm reading, like, several books at once. And I think that's kind of a strange experience. But, like, Aww. what what are you reading right now?
1: Well, Eric, let me tell you. Um, <laughs> remember, like, months and months and months ago when I talked about how excited I was about Michelle Obama's memoir? Wasn't, Becoming? It, in our,
0: wasn't it in our New Year's episode?
1: It wasn't our New Year's yeah. episode. You were talking about um, being on that list? Yeah. So, they're the library that I get my audiobooks from because I like listening to memoirs yeah. uh, in audiobook because the <laughs> authors read them and then you get to, like, you know, you get some extras, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, there are 100. Copies of this audiobook book available.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, I just got it last week. <laughs>
0: it's so strange that those like a non-physical object could have a wait list like that. But yeah,
1: there yeah. are twenty-one holds yeah. on each of these one hundred, yeah. so there are many, many thousands of mm-hmm. people um, who are excited to have it. And it sucks for you because I'm going to read it or listen to it all up until that three-week return date. Mm-hmm. Um, because I just can't get enough of those dulcet tones of Michelle Obama. I will say, however, that I did take a break when driving home from this conference I went to this weekend. Uh-huh. Um, I did take a break from like the very, uh, I guess, well intentioned and like very, uh, full of good decisions, Michelle Obama <laughs> to like listen, listen to like. A super yeah. fun right. um, romance novel. Right. Yeah. So that was that. With was much fun.
0: worse decisions.
1: A Lot of. I mean, like you Ergo don't have a you don't have intrigue. a story if yeah. there's yeah if yeah. there's not some bad decisions in there.
0: <laughs> that's gotta be someday I'm gonna send a query letter that's like that. In my novel, every character behaves reasonably from start to finish. <laughs> Very boring <laughs> book.
1: You're gonna be the only you'll yeah. if you got that query. I Eric, would
0: immediately read it are you kidding me actually know I'm going to get into trouble because I'm going to get like 19 emails like this tomorrow my character
1: makes all the good decisions if someone
0: sent me something like that I'd probably take a look I don't know I know it's been a while since I've found like I haven't um I haven't like signed a fiction writer in a long time so maybe the person writing a novel called like reasonable people and it's like a 500 page like you you can already picture this fucking book yeah I (laughs) can't But the funny thing uh,
1: is, is if, like, they named a book called Reasonable People, mm-hmm. then it would all just be people making terrible, terrible decisions. they would be or they filled would be, with sociopaths, Or yeah. they would be making reasonable decisions that then, like, come back to bite them in the ass. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 What are you reading right now? Oh,
0: boy. Um, you said a,
1: multiple things. Multiple
0: things. The first thing that I'm reading is I'm reading the Marlon James book still, um, it which is, a, is...
1: It's a long guy. Well,
0: so it's a long book. It's also one that... Um, I just keep like, again, you know, we just got a dog, which I don't know what that did for your reading habits when you first cut it up, but it's like, my Im- dog was full grown. Oh, I, well, yeah, I, every time I sit down to read something happens, like I, I haven't like read three consecutive pages of a book in a very long time. Do you
1: know what that reminds me of? It <clears throat> reminds me of that voiceover, uh, in a Christmas story when it talks about how the mother hadn't had a hot meal in five years. <laughs> yeah. You're that mother.
0: I'm that mother, um, <laughs> folks. I've become that mother. Um, but I'm reading that, and I do like it. Um, but the thing with – and this is maybe something that I don't quite know. You tell me what you think of this idea. I haven't worked it out in my head at all, but I'm going to throw it out there because it's that kind of episode. Yeah. There are certain kinds of books that you that only lend themselves to certain kinds of reading like that. Like I would say that I'm probably enjoying this book specifically way less – because I'm reading it in short chunks mm. as opposed to maybe what the way a book like that where it's like 700 pages of high fantasy what I'm supposed to be doing is like reading, you know, 100 pages at a time, right? Like yeah. and obviously like you get into like concepts of beach reads and things like that where it's like tailored to a specific experience but I don't know like I'm just and you, you it's you struggle to get in and out more, right? Like the pages right now if I picked it up it would feel like gibberish to mm-hmm. me. Even though I'm well into the book and theoretically know who all these characters and all these dynamics are, I don't know. It's just, there's something about and as someone who doesn't read a lot of fantasy, I guess trying to reenter that world is a little more difficult for me. Like I struggle with it on a on like an attention span level almost. Well, just
1: just from like a mental, like a like a just a human being, your your ability <clears throat> to to imagine things in your brain, right? Yeah. Like your suspension of disbelief. Whenever you pick up a fantasy novel or science fiction novel or something that doesn't take place in the real world, like is asking for you mentally to make a larger jump, mm. um, which is a lot more taxing. So, I I mean, I that makes a lot of sense. Like, I would much prefer to I mean, I would much prefer to read every book in big old chunks. Yeah. Um, I am I like if I know I'm only going to have an hour, like I'm not going to ever pick up a book because that is just not going to work for me. Um,
0: you know, I've never listened to an audiobook hmm. ever in my life. Like I don't even, but I, and I bring it up because I think that we might be at a time where I think it might be time for the audiobooks. Yeah for me because well, you have a
1: dog now you can take the dog for walks and listen that's to your audiobook. Mean.
0: Like I, I need that. I need something that can. Fight back against the fact that I haven't had like an interior thought in a month, <laughs> uh, which is which is a really good feeling. It's it, really improved my work. It's, it's going to be life. so much
1: fun when you have um, a, when you have a human child. Um, well, so that that's something that's worth talking about. Uh-huh. So I am like I've always enjoyed listening to storytelling, yeah, orally, right? Yeah. Like I loved it when people would read out loud in school. Um, I had old cassette tapes when I was a kid of the old like '30s radio show "Let's Pretend," where they told, um, like, where they they told fairy tales right. in a in a in a radio cast kind of setting, right. in a radio play setting, um, and that's always something that I enjoyed. But one thing that I figured out is that if I didn't find another way to read books for fun, this job was going to kill me. Because something because something that is very, very integral to my my happiness as a human being is to read fiction, like specifically fiction, like things that will make me challenge my perceptions of something and expand my mind and really like feel empathy for like made up people, Mm. I guess, and thus by extension, real people. And that is something that like I would always pick up when I first started this job. I would pick up a, a, a book and I would sit down to read it and I just was having a really hard time because I would feel guilty, right? Like I would I would feel guilty or I, I couldn't get out of that agent mindset. And so I needed something to jog my system. And audiobooks turned out to be the thing. But one thing that audiobooks have also done is like ye can melt a task. Yeah. Like you can't multitask when reading a print book or right. an ebook, but what I can do is I can take my dog on a five mile walk, and mm-hmm. get a chunk of reading done and feel really good mentally and physically.
0: Oh wow! And physically. Wait. And look, physically. Print Run is a lifestyle podcast. It is. Um, we're going to be doing baking tips next week. We will be doing actually that yeah, we could do baking tips. You're quite the baker.
1: I yeah. <laughs> yeah, I really am.
0: Uh, I'm also reading this tennis book. And I haven't read.
1: That is the first time I've ever heard you mention tennis and not be super excited.
0: Well, it's because the tennis book isn't that good, is the problem. But I'm. So there's not that. You got to understand something, Laura. You
1: love tennis. Well,
0: I love, of course, I love tennis, but a lot of people don't love tennis. A lot of people. And it means that not a lot of people write about tennis. Mm -hmm. Like, there are certain literary sports, right? Like, you've got. Well, I would argue that baseball is not a literary sport, but people sure do write about it a lot, right? (laughs) Like, you've got – like, there are certain games and sports that happen that people feel predisposed to, like, write breathy things about, right? Right.
1: Nobody writes breathy things about, like, football.
0: Right. And, like – but tennis is – I think one of the sports that could have that, but it's sort of a smaller audience and so not as many magazines hire. You know, like it's a smaller world of people writing that way about tennis, um, a world I really like, but it doesn't happen so much. But so I was thrilled last or this last year when FSG, who is really, I think, still the literary publisher in America, um, they announced they were doing a tennis book. Mm-hmm. And it was a book of essays by this poet. Um, I think primarily he is a poet. Rowan Ricardo Phillips is his name. <laughs> um
1: that is a tennis name it's
0: a tennis book author name yeah yeah like if if Um, if
1: you were like (laughs) give me a list of five names and you're like which one wrote the tennis book i would select that one
0: yeah um and i'm reading it now and like the idea is that it's like following along with the tennis calendar for a for like a solid calendar year Mm -hmm. like it's like kind of that you know these players travel the world all this kind of stuff and you kind of follow along with them and it's sort of this Odyssey type thing that he wants to paint it as, and it's just kind of flat, and I'm not really liking it, and I don't think I'm going to finish it, which is crazy because you
1: love tennis because it's a
0: 200 page book about my favorite thing in the world, and I'm just I'm just not going to finish it. I don't think. Actually, I've just decided life's too short. This is one of my resolutions this year has been to just not finish books. I've mm. done it several times this year. And Guillermo I del feel Toro great.
1: Uh, gave an interview uh-huh. about um, like. Something about like not finishing movies yeah. or finishing yeah. like TV shows yeah. that he didn't like, and uh-huh. he was like, "I don't get." Basically, he was like, "I don't get a cookie for finishing right. this. Like right. it, it if it doesn't make me happy while I'm doing it, yeah. I'm not going to do it." And which I find to be very freeing.
0: Or if it's not so, the it doesn't. I imagine he probably. That wasn't like a direct quote, right? Like I imagine I mean, he no, said he something, didn't say, like, right. they're not
1: going to give me a cookie. Like, no, that's no, 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 not no, no. how he talks. No, no. but
0: the, the bit I want to zero in on there is the if it doesn't make me happy. Because the one thing that keeps me reading is less about whether – and honestly, it's about less about whether I'm, like, enjoying myself and more about is there something in this, even worth if it's while. bad, worth examining. And I will say that I read a book earlier this year um, that I didn't really like that much, but I really kind of stuck with because – I found the like the exercise of what the author was trying to do interesting even if I thought that it wasn't necessarily executed as well as Well, that's as I just wanted. a more complicated so, definition yeah.
1: of enjoyment.
0: Yeah. It's I yeah I guess that's a that's a good point. Like I guess but like it wasn't the story. like it was a collection of stories, right? And even mm. and I sort of knew it going in cuz I read this review um in the in the New York Times about it that was basically like you know this is an interesting book but it sort of reads more like the author's like preliminary notebook mm. that got published before they actually did their really good book. And I read it and I thought, yeah, that actually feels like an accurate characterization of this because um some of the stories were really good, some of them felt like drafts, honestly. They felt kind of flat and half formed. Um but even those ones, I was like, man, this is interesting to kind of see like you could sort of almost see the process, right? It to work like, <laughs> through it, yeah. Where it was like the the you know, this this woman who uh, published this was her second published book, but her first... What book is this? The book was called A Mouthful of Birds. Okay. Um, and I, I honestly, I'm forgetting even the the author's name right now. But um, the first novel by this one was a success. Um, and I'm sure at some point the publisher was like, okay, what else you got? And they had a collection of stories in the drawer, you know? And you publish that. And we see that all the time, everywhere. And the stories are never as good as the book itself. And... Um... Yeah, it's – but anyway, the point of this long anecdote is that I found that interesting to kind of read through and see, okay, this is kind of this preliminary work that kind of led to, you know, a bigger, better, you know, story yep. down the line. But Yeah,
1: that makes a lot of sense.
0: <sighs> so there was a tweet today. Oh, no. Are you ready? I was read not
1: these? logged on today. <laughs> I went to yoga at 2.30 and fell asleep in front of a bunch of people I didn't really know that well.
0: Well, Laura – while you were sleeping serenely doing some mind-body exercises and yoga, I was <laughs> logged on.
1: <laughs> you always and, are.
0: And while I was logged on... Why some, would
1: I ever doubt you?
0: Someone tweeted the following, and I want to get... Obviously, it's a, um, spoiler alert, it's a bad tweet, because every tweet is bad. But um, it's going to raise a question that I would love to get your answer to. Oh, um, boy. The author fails to find one on their own, and it's irritating to me and plenty of other people. But here we go. <clears throat> Last week, someone asked me who the defining writers of my generation are, and I couldn't think of any. Who is the millennial David Foster Wallace or Dave Eggers or Zadie Smith? Are Lena Dunham and the Gizmodo scolds the voices of my generation? And if so, can I identify as Gen X? Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> so this person essentially is positing that millennials have no voice of a generation Correct. other than. Apparently, Lena Dunham and the people writing, like, kind of day-by-day, you know, internet content is who the author clearly has disdain for. But, Lovely. So, Laura. Yeah. Voices of a Generation. Yeah. Do you have any?
1: Um. Well, yes. But before I say who mm-hmm. I think that they are, mm-hmm. um, I will say, first of all, that, like, that is... It it's a it's a it's an unfair question, right? Because of it is. Yeah. I mean it's unfair because the oldest millennial, uh-huh. Eric, the oldest millennial, is not even forty yet. Yeah. And so like, okay, whatever, right? We love David Foster Wallace, even though he, you know, was an abusive asshole. Whatever, right? We love him so much. Uh-huh. Okay. He didn't write Infinite Jest until he was thirty-four. The bulk of millennials aren't thirty-four yet.
0: It's a Really, really good point. Give us yeah. a
1: goddamn break. Yeah. Like, come on. Like, also, you know, like Zadie Smith is Zadie Smith because she, you know, was so successful with a book at 25, yep. White Teeth at 25. But like, she's only stayed Zadie Smith because older work. She's because she's like kept working. Yeah. Right. And now we're 20 years later. Mm-hmm. And now she's Zadie Smith. So like it's it's bullshit to be like we're in the middle where the youngest millennials are barely out of college or not even. And saying, you know, like, why haven't they produced (laughs) seminal works for for the canon? Like we're busy paying off student debt. Like give us time. Jesus.
0: That actually. So right. Right there. that, That was that's. That's a true line, but it feels almost like a throwaway line because you hear it so much. But there is something really interesting in that implication, which is that artistic production is absolutely, on a generational scale, being tamped down by things like debt, And we have yet to grapple with that in any real way, and it's going to be absolutely harrowing when we finally get a full look at it later on. And that's just something to keep in your depressive back pocket, everyone. But that is absolutely (laughs) coming as a reckoning, and we're not there yet. But so I guess the question is, like, Knowing we don't really have a full answer to this yet and knowing that, um, you know, a lot of the people we would even throw up are um, working now, you know, it's, yeah. and the people probably we don't even know who they are yet. You know, there are lots of people who are working away on a novel who we don't know about yet, you know, who are doing things that were yet to be introduced to who fit this bill. Um, you know, does anyone kind of pop to you?
1: I mean, I, I think immediately in this, and the person who tweeted this will of course not accept this as an appropriate answer, but like Angie Thomas, right? Like Angie Thomas set the, you know, like set the course for a whole new wave of YA, you know, and she's been on the New York Mm -hmm. Times bestseller list for over a year. Like that's a huge deal. She is a voice of a generation. How old is Angie Thomas? She is under 30.
0: She's under thirty. I, for, yeah, huh?
1: She's definitely yeah. like around our age. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, maybe a little bit younger. I was
0: gonna say, like, I, I was wondering if she was younger. Yeah. No, not um, that much. Mo- no, okay. I.
1: I mean, she's definitely in her in her mid late twenties. I think.
0: There is something interesting there about how voice of a generation automatically means literary fiction, right? Right. Like, there's no, um, even like you could you know I think it, you know there's YA stuff but even like you would never name a genre like a pure genre fiction author as a voice of a generation even if they um, even if they end up being so and that's and not that I know anything about film tr- truthfully I know nothing about film but it's interesting that like in film right now like someone like Jordan Peel who works in specifically in a genre right like this is a horror producer this is someone who is writing not just you know, breathy Oscar bait. He's writing in a specific genre with conventions. That person is sort of emerging as not just the voice of a genre, but the voice of a generation. I wonder if there's something like that that could happen in books too. You know.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I I definitely think so. But then I think we can also look and like, wasn't there somebody up for the Man Booker? Was it Otessa Moshfe who um, wrote her novel? on her phone
0: oh like who was
1: that, who was that? i there's
0: i don't some, yeah so, yes someone someone was doing that
1: yeah like somebody wrote a man booker award nominee novel on their cell phone like mm-hmm. on their smartphone mm-hmm. like that to me screams like millennial voices and yeah and like yeah. i don't know like karen russell's a millennial. Yeah she's on the tip top end of it yeah but like ev- everybody that Something you know like that. this 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 tweeter is calling out <laughs> like <laughs> it's the most tweetsman. of the most of the people yeah the tweetsmen most <laughs> of the people in in this particular generation aren't you know like they haven't had very much time as an adult yet to create art
0: yeah no that's true especially is like again like the generational realities like you start doing things like that later now, you know. Yeah. Like you're having kids later, you're having life later, you're getting out of debt and, and you know, you know, being able to buy homes and stuff later. Like it's a it's a whole other thing. I'm trying to think like who I would even throw out there right now. I was giving it a minute of thought today, and I guess the first person I thought of was is not a fiction writer. Um I thought of Gia Tolentino. I'm um, at the New Yorker. Um, oh yeah, Gia's amazing. Not just because so, like, there's a, there is a distinction here between, um, like, my favorite authors versus who I think would actually fit the bill as, like, a right. voice of a generation. And she happens to be one of my favorite writers. But I also think the voice of I generation. think even beyond that, the way she's able to kind of write about Internet bullshit in a way that makes it feel grandly important and defining, you know, mm-hmm. is particularly evocative about what we're all doing. You know, I would say, like... I don't know, who else? Leslie Jameson? How old is she, you know? Um, I guess you could name Hanif Abdurraqib as someone who's, I'm pretty sure it's like right around our age. And his stuff, again, like one of my favorite authors, but also kind of writes about, very specifically about being our age, right? Like his, his essays are about going to concerts in specific yep. eras, you know? They're about experiencing music in, at a certain place in time you know that we that you have to be his age yeah. to understand you know and so honestly
1: like, i would even say people like shay serrano yeah
0: no like someone fun like that you know like it's there's all kinds of that kind of stuff and Yeah, I don't know. I mean on what on the novel side, I guess you could name like someone like Rachel Kushner or something. I don't know. Yeah, but novels fundamentally
1: are like the piece of literary work that take the most time and energy and effort and take the longest to get out. Yes. So like also, you know, you might have a twenty five year old who is finishing, you know, as a millennial Mm -hmm. is finishing a book right now. We might see that book in four years. Yeah.
0: Totally. Maybe. Totally.
1: I don't know. Like I think I think this I think people need To really back off, Mm. back up off the idea that like fundamentally the youths are so much worse than we are. And that's I mean, it's always been the case, you know, all of like the Gen X and the baby boomers, you know, have been, you know, they hate the millennials, but also like they were the ones that were were suffering from the same thing as well. And I mean, what I'm saying right now is not in any way, shape or form something new or novel But like, I think I think it really does bad things to a culture at large if we keep pushing a narrative of like uselessness for an entire group of people, Mm -hmm. because like there are amazing things that millennials are comfortable with and know that Gen Xers or baby boomers don't know. Mm -hmm. And it has to do with technology and it has to do with, with information and privacy and politics. And, you know, like there's, there's an interesting worldview that comes, that comes from having to make choices for your entire life based on, the way that the world is right now
0: that classic group of excellent politics havers the baby boomers right? <laughs> uh, anyway um but yeah no i mean i think you're right and it's it's just this um it's just not time yet and it's just sort of a cheap shot and you know it's a cheap shot because their ask next- me that
1: in five years yeah exactly
0: and their next their next tweet here to end this was whole lot of nyc media goons seem real pissed i don't think they and their friends are the defining voice of a generation super shocking which is actually my favorite kind of reply <laughs> to something because it's basically the...
1: Willfully misunderstanding the critiques. Well,
0: and that and the basic, awesome, ironclad, logical construct of everyone is mad at me. That must mean I'm right. <laughs> Which is... <laughs> it, it's, it's never failed me. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Like, everyone thinks my opinion is just absolute garbage. That means I'm on to something. Yeah. Like you're some sort of like gadfly as opposed to just being an idiot. Um anyway, we did have a real thing to talk yes, about today. We did. We ta- <laughs> Believe it or not, we do have an actual quick discussion to have here. Would you like to lead us into that, please? Yeah.
1: So, for those of you who have been following my cheese adventures mm. on Twitter, and you'll have, know yeah. you'll know that I've been a, uh, been in Wisconsin. Um which for me is probably less of a big deal than those of you who live outside of, you know, 20 minutes away from Wisconsin. Um Because just the amount of cheese is just overwhelming. Once you cross that border, it's like, I thought we had cheese, but damn. Um, Eric's mom, if you're listening, I do have other hobbies. Trust me. Um, (laughs) She doesn't believe you. I know she really doesn't.
0: My mom, the only time she's ever talked about Laura, she'll, she'll, like, ask me how the podcast is going and stuff. And I'll say, oh, it's good. And then... Like it always comes up. Like she's still like talking about cheese all the time. Like <laughs> she really thinks that your defining feature is that you enjoy cheese to the degree you do. Honestly, really I good.
1: respect that. Yeah. Um, I I appreciate it. Um, and I I generally feel good about that assessment. Mm-hmm. So yeah. we're just gonna move forward yeah, with yeah. it. Um, but so I I was in Milwaukee for a romance writers convention. Um. This, I mean, it was a it was a really beautiful, beautiful little con. Um, it was the RWA Wisconsin chapter's annual conference. Um, I love small cons because yeah. it really like takes the pressure off of the writers in mm. terms of like hobnobbing with like the agents and editors. We all of a sudden get less scarier when there's fewer of you,
2: yeah.
1: and you can see us as like real people. Mm. And then I feel like that is a is a big help for the for the writers that are attending. But so anyway. I spent the entire weekend talking about romance. And one thing I kept an eye on for various reasons that I will get into is how much over the weekend that I talked about sex. Hmm. And I didn't talk about sex once, even though I was at a genre-specific romance. Well, technically, it wasn't sold as genre-specific, but it was put on by RWA. So, like, genre-specific romance convention. And... I I was paying attention to this because just a few days earlier um Stephen Colbert um on his late night show, I can't remember what it is it the late sh- the
0: Who cares what it's it, called? It,
1: one of one of, the, one of the one of the late night shows All of them
0: should be driven off the air, if right. you ask me. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs>
1: Stephen Colbert um had um Stacey Abrams mm-hmm. who uh who has written romance under the name Selena Montgomery, um, had Stacey Abrams on his show and pulled out one of her romance novels. I actually
0: didn't know that about Stacey Abrams. That's yeah, interesting. Huh.
1: Yeah, um, and they're they're good books. Yeah, um, sure. And took out her book, and even though she said no kind of like forcibly read a sex scene out loud to the audience while she was sitting there. Mm-hmm. Um even though she said, you know, like no these 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 books, these stories, these scenes are meant for you to use in your own home. Um and basically in a way that was like very uncomfortable and very not cool, right?
0: Sure.
1: Rewind a few days earlier and Garth Greenwell, who is a literary novelist. Very good one. Yeah, very by good. The way. Um tweeted something about how he dearly hopes that he is nominated for and then wins the Bad Sex in Literature Award, which we talk about on, you know, this podcast quite often whenever it shows up every year. Mm. Um, Because he wants to basically, like, tear it down. Right. He didn't
0: like the award, yeah. He did
1: not like the award. And then a bunch of other people popped up and said, yes, I also feel really bad about this award. It feels really, like, sex-shamey mm-hmm. and, like, we're making fun of writers for their bad writing, which is just in bad faith, right? Mm-hmm. Um and so, like, as a as a uh, expert on the bad sex in literature <laughs> award, as as a journalist who has covered it the past two years in a as row, a
0: journalist, are we journalists? Now? I, don't I don't know.
1: Think we have we, a podcast.
0: You're right. We're experts on. It. As soon as you have a podcast, you can say whatever shit you want. So
1: hell yes. <laughs> um, <laughs>
0: Print so, Run is not a journalistic podcast and should not be sued <laughs> as such. Please continue.
1: So essentially, I was I was kind of thinking about all. Three of these these events together, um, specifically when it comes to sex and sex writing, um, for Stacey Abrams, she was brought onto a public, you know, a national scale and basically like humiliated against her will um, and made uncomfortable.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Not that she is. Um, is ashamed of what she wrote, but just like it not intended for for consumption on Stephen Colbert's show. Um, and then we have this literary award, which, you know, we've covered. It's always, always, always lit fic. And primarily the people that are up for this award um, are men. And, and It's very
0: well established, man.
1: It's very very well established. Like, man. Yeah. There's even kind of like the shorthand, Eric, that really good authors are the ones that are up for and win this award. It's no like rando, right? It it's like, always Haruki like a Was
0: Murakami was on this. Yeah, list, and, know, and like, Jonathan yeah. Franzen, yeah.
1: and you know, all of people these people with respectable
0: careers. People yeah.
1: with big and respectable careers. Um, and so my my thoughts is just, you know, there's there's a reason why in the Bad Sex Award, we don't see E.L. James. You know, there's a reason why we don't see any romance authors. There's a reason why romance authors are not even ever mentioned for this award. And I think the idea is, and you know, like this this award has even become sort of a a marker of honor a lot of people go and they understand that it's you know making fun of them in good faith and the the quality of their writing is never questioned right Mm -hmm. it's never you're a bad writer because you're up for this award it's you're bad at writing sex which somehow has equated in the you know in the literary parlance to mean you are a good writer and so you are bad at writing sex
0: It's almost like a compliment in and of itself to be included on the list. Yes, it is.
1: And because you're on the same list with these huge, huge, well-respected award winners. And so I've just been kind of like kicking around in my mind where I I think that the criticism that this particular award is sex negative and is bad for people and is bad for writing, I think that that is... I think that that's misleading um, because I think what this award does is it really, if people are there to open their eyes and to see it, I think what this award does is point you towards the fact that it is acceptable to be bad at writing something if you are a good writer, right? right? Like it is acceptable, it is expected if you are a well respected literary novelist. That you cannot write a sex scene to save your life. Because if you write a sex scene well, then your book isn't that good.
0: And your book probably isn't getting called literary.
1: Yeah. Like if you write a sex scene well, you're probably a woman. Yeah. You're probably writing for other women. And it's worth mentioning that
0: categorized out of a category that would place you on the in contention for this sort of
1: Yes. It's worth mentioning that romance publishing is you know, outsells every other genre of publishing by millions and millions and millions of dollars. Like, it is romance authors. It is off the backs of romance writers that allow for us to pay Jonathan Franzen millions of dollars, right? Like, that is, that's the foundation. And so I think, I think that this, this is not about... Like, whether you're writing sex well or sex poorly, I think it's not about being sex positive or sex negative. I think it is about sexism. I think it is about, you know, if you write a woman accurately and her boobs don't, you know, bounce boobily down the stairs, (laughs) you know, like if you write women accurately and you write their pleasure accurately, then you can't be taken seriously. And I think it is fundamentally yeah. a binary
0: that's for most books. So I think one, I I think I agree with all of that. I think that's a really good point. And I'm just like trying to remember, like the brunt of the critique, you know, that we, you know, that we saw of the award, you know, a few days ago from, you know, people like Garth Greenwell and other novelists who kind of chimed in. Like it was that it it felt to them it felt sex panicky, right? Yeah. Like, and and you can see how you know maybe that would be a concern, right? Like you you know America is a Particularly um, Puritan you know, puri- society. puritanical, you know, place like we do. America has a terrible relationship with sex for a number of reasons, and like to have an award that like calls out, "Hey, here's some bad sex." Like you could see how the critique would start, but I think what you're saying, which is that the list does this kind of, and you phrased it this way, you know, when we were talking about this earlier, as sort of a sly wink to actually complimenting the people who make the list. Yeah, is. It's really interesting, and I think it's why um, it is worth, <laughs> worth laughing at some of these things. I mean, you if know? this if and, this
1: award was sex panicky, if we were sex panicky about Stacey Abrams, right, yeah. we would just say, oh, no, they wrote a sex scene. Oh, no, she wrote romance novels mm-hmm. and cancel them, yeah. right? We would kick them out. And the fact that we don't, the fact that we talk about it and the fact that we celebrate it means that fundamentally it is not sex panicky, Mm -hmm. right? We are trying to get people to read these bad sex scenes. Yeah. The point is that somehow that is worth celebrating. And I want to push back on that. Like I, I think that if we are in a day and age when like a... You know, centrist, leaning liberal, you know, late night talk show host is forcibly reading a sex scene to a black woman politician on national television in an effort to poke fun at her. Yeah. Even though she says no and didn't agree with it. Yeah. Like, that is fundamentally like we're using the the writing of sex right and the writing of of showing women's pleasure as as a as a weapon we're weaponizing it we're weaponizing it against her we're weaponizing it um to elevate these, you know, these these literary authors and to push down and further separate the line between romance and literary fiction. Mm. Um, and we're using it in a way that is, I think, deeply harmful for the readers in the way that I think that these critics didn't necessarily understand as writers. Like, of course, like, it probably doesn't feel good for somebody to tell you that you're bad at writing something. Sure. Right? But I also think that these men have never tried. Like, you know, like, Jonathan Franzen has probably never read a romance novel and never will because he probably thinks that it's shit.
0: Yeah. No, I think that that's a, it is a guess. Who knows what Jonathan Franzen reads, but it feels like true thing about him and his personality. I mean, do you think
1: that he listens no. to like romance audiobooks while he's out bird watching?
0: Who knows what he does? What <laughs> he... I think he's into some real sick shit.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Which wouldn't be romance novels. Which would not be romance because, novels. Because like romance yeah. novels are just like by women, for women, about, you know, women yeah. having right. deep emotional lives yeah. and not just like dying all over the place or like bouncing, breasting boobily down the stairs. Mm-hmm. That's it.
0: Sure. Sure. No, and I think that that's all oh, that is really remarkably well said. And thank so, you
1: for letting me rant. No,
0: no, I, I think that that's a really kind of well put point, and
1: and it says um, something that yeah. I was at a romance event all weekend, and I never mentioned sex writing once.
0: That's yeah, that is interesting because like, that's
1: not what it is. Like sex yeah. writing, like there was there was something somebody said online this week about how how damaging it is to call like the sex part. Like it's okay. If you think that the sex parts of a romance novel are the fun bits. Yeah. Right. But the, the most important parts of a romance novel are, it's like the emotional connection and the growth and the choices. And it's like and the in-between treating, chemistry. Yeah. And, and people treating women like they're real people. Yeah. Like that's what's sexy about a romance novel. Just the fact that sex happens is, you know, whatever the fact, is, like, it happens. But the real true point of a romance novel is that you have a woman making choices and decisions for herself and other people respect her autonomy and treat her like a real person.
0: Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's it. Yep. I think that's – yeah, I think that's really strong. I think that's a really <laughs> – no, I mean, as, as an articulation of, you know, the point of a genre, the reason a genre – has caught you know to say romance has caught on is obviously incredibly reductive because as we said it's the backbone of the industry but like i think that's where its power lies and i think that that's where there is sort of a disjoint between that and you know poking fun at you know the sex writing of literary fiction authors who are in the you know kind of the subtext there is you're so serious it's fine that you're bad at writing sex. they don't want to be good yeah like Yeah. Like
1: they do not want to be good, yeah. Because if they were good, it would mean that they were writing smut for women.
0: Yeah, I, Let's.
1: Somebody's gonna get real mad at me. No, I think about we stick this, it there. I mean, I think that
0: <laughs> no, I think that's a really uh, you know that's a great way to put it. So
1: okay, so let's let's move on. I'm gonna like get off my high horse. No,
0: read me the loon.
1: I am going to read you the loon. Okay.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: To loon it may concern. Over the last year or so, I've been querying agents pretty consistently with my first novel. I like to think I'm a conscientious querier. I do my research and don't query every single agent on the planet that has their email posted online. I've gotten some requests for the full, and the responses I've gotten have been mostly kind, though some agents never even responded to the full they asked for, but that's as far as it goes. Lately, I've been wondering, is my work just not something an agent would see value in? Am I actually just wasting my time and energy trying to find one? My novel project is quite literary, though it's not in any way written to be challenging or inaccessible. But I think that one of my biggest problems might be that my main character is, like myself, non-binary, and possibly that it's also set mostly in Canada. I guess I'm afraid agency see these buzzwords in my query and know that they could be things that would keep the book from having a chance in many of the larger publishers, though, um, Though with some of the work One World is doing, maybe that is changing a little and therefore don't see it as a project worthy of consideration. I guess what I'm asking is, should I refocus my energy into trying to make more connections that might help me work in front of smaller independent publishers myself? The main thing that has been keeping me in the agent search is that it's important to me, since I believe deeply in my work, that I publish with a house that has a decent distribution model, and that many of the independent presses that I dream of working with, like Grey Wolf, don't accept unsolicited work and therefore an agent would be necessary. I probably already know the answer to this. I'm just dispirited to think how mu- about how much time and energy I have put into the agent search so far to come away with nothing. Especially as I've been having some good acceptances with my fiction, like getting a grant, being published fairly regularly in some good magazines, even had a long story recently taken by plowshares, things which are rumored to make the process a little easier. Should I stop trying to find an agent and just explore other houses, even though I really want to be published by some of the bigger indie presses that don't accept unsolicited work? Sincerely, Queer and Defeated and Far Too Literary.
0: Okay. Um... So a lot to kind of get into here. Yeah. I would say, um, I guess my first my first thing here is that you know you ask, you present this binary of whether or not you should, um, you should approach, you know, you should start trying to make connections in the industry and all these other ways, or you should continue your agent search. And I think that the answer is both in, a, in its own. <laughs> way. No, but like seriously, I mean, I think that. There's never a downside to meeting as many people as you can to try and do, you know, if it's within your means or within your ability, you know, geographically and logistically to, like, get to some conferences and things like that, just to meet people, you know, and try to... Because you never know who they know. You never know how it works. Publishing, obviously, is an industry that can rely so much on connections in that way. Like, that's a useful and often very fruitful way to spend your time, no matter what your situation is, right? Um, But it sounds to me like... This is – and you tell me what you think. This, this sounds to me like a novelist who should keep querying agents. Yes. And so the question is, where's the hangup, right? Because, they, it so, you know, we're sending a query out. It sounds like the query, by and large, is – Getting requests. Is getting requests. It doesn't – so putting my – you know, your little, like, book doctor hat on, right? It doesn't seem like the problem's the query. Correct. Right? And so – And that actually, right there, gets into the thing I want to discuss with you now, which is, do you think um, the two things that they sort of flag as... Being queer and being being Canadian? Being queer and being Canadian. (laughs) (laughs) Being queer and being Canadian. Um, Well, as a
1: Minnesotan, um, which is basically just like lame Canada.
0: It is lame Canada, yeah.
1: um, Just like Canada with way worse... Syrup. Way, uh, we have. Okay, we got here though. Um, I would say way less good health care. Yeah, that's true. Um, I I think I think the problem, like in for if you're looking to sell in the North American market, right? Canada is part of the North American market.
0: I don't think Canada is an issue.
1: Canada is not an issue. So, like, put so that behind you. So let's
0: talk about the real meat of the issue here: the non-binary thing. Yeah. Do you think that? Do you think Laura that agents are struggling with this book because of something like the presence of a non-binary character or non-binary author or anything like that no i don't either i think that it's i mean i don't quite know how to put it but i i like to think that our it wouldn't be that big of a hang-up you know to anyone like i can't imagine a scenario where someone would see that and think that isn't like that is a um that is something that is going to get in the way of the promotion of this book. That is something that is going to get in the way of, I mean, it's, you know, this is a person with, especially, you know, if you're someone with literary sensibilities, right? Like this is someone who all I know about your work is that you, you have a pretty good knowledge of the literary landscape and your work is good enough to have appeared in Plowshares, which by the way, is a really, that's a congratulations on that. Congratulations on that. It's a really nice, that's a really nice thing. And so, um, I don't know. like I'm struggling here to find where the hangup is other than maybe you just haven't found the right aging yet, or maybe there's something wrong with the manuscript itself. But I would I think that um, if you have the patience, and this is I feel like the answer to so many of our questions that we get are patience. Like people people tend to go about the process and they've got even with good expectations, right? Like they have a vision in their mind of how long it should take. And as soon as it kind of pushes against that, they start seeing problems, maybe where there aren't any, you know. And so yeah,
1: I will. I will just jump in and say, like, if this person has been querying for a year, yeah, and has sent us a letter saying some of the people have requested the full and never even gotten back to me, I will be the first to lay myself <laughs> at your feet and say, my friend, yeah, uh, they might still be reading, uh, definitely still reading because I. And, yeah. I mean, like, I know I don't have this book, right, because I don't represent lit fic. But, yep. like, I have books that I am theoretically incredibly excited about yep. that I have not read and I've had for a year in my pocket. Mm. Just just simply because, you know, like, that's that's just the way my slush pile works and that's just the way that my authors keep me busy and it's just kind of a thing, right? Um And so, like, I would say don't discount those people yet. But for me, like, especially literary fiction and especially, like, because presumably this author is going to want to find an agent who will be able to treat them with respect and will be able to understand the particular challenges of being somebody who is Mm -hmm. non-binary in the literary world and will want to work with them to make sure that they are able to keep creating and they are protected and supported, yep. right? And so, like theoretically, you are, you know, doing doing that research. Um, but so much of this is is a fit thing, right? Because like you have a lot of the big old guard agents who who might you might not feel comfortable sending queries to or working with. And then you know, with with any any piece of fiction, quite honestly. Like, it's so much of a Goldilocks situation. I know. Um, I will say that being non-binary or genderqueer or having a book that takes place in a certain place or being literary or not literary like, all of this is just, like, well, your comfort for the um, gender expression, but particularly um, with everything else, it's really just fit. Like, does this person believe that they can sell this book? Um, has this person read the book? And I will say that my best-selling book that I have ever sold has been queer as fuck and highly literary. Yeah,
0: I think... So I think that all of that is to say that you should keep... I think that you should persist here. Like, I think that you should keep looking for an agent because, one, it's you seem like the kind of writer who should have one. You know, you're the kind of writer who has ambitions of being in places that require agency. You're the kind of writer who has proven themselves on their own in the sorts of magazines, in the sorts of publications that...
1: To be successful. That
0: you try to go, like, you know, I feel like unagent... Like, the thing if you're an unagent in fiction writer, right, like, step one is to try, to try to get into these magazines, you know, before... And you've done that at least once, you know, and other times, you know, in the future and perhaps in the past, like, and... So I think that the, I think there's a stay the course here that I wanna um that I wanna preach here. And I don't like I don't quite know what the hang up is. I mean maybe like if I were giving really like pragmatic advice like for what to do, um, you know, get a get a beta read or something. You know, have someone maybe there's a something in the manuscript that...
1: Isn't working. That
0: isn't quite working. Maybe
1: you have a sagging middle.
0: Exactly. You know, anything like that. Like, you know, sometimes, and this is a really reductive answer, sometimes the issue is the book, you know? And again, that is not nothing to say, you know, to cast aspersions on you as a writer, but maybe there is something here about the craft itself that could use a little bit of tightening that's turning people off who were initially enthused about... The query letter and maybe even the beginning you know
1: but also maybe there's not like maybe yeah, it's just a exactly. matter of yeah. like time right and if you say that you're a conscientious querier maybe that means you're only querying 10 people at a time rather mm-hmm. than 40 mm-hmm. and you know like at, in some level like if you are sure that your book is in a good place and that it's exactly how you know you think it it could work um and you've had the beta readers and you and you've done done that then maybe it is just a a numbers game which is what querying is a lot of the time like people don't want to hear this yeah but querying is a numbers game
0: yeah totally yeah so i mean it's it sounds like you know i feel like the author is going to hear this and not feel like there's that much to come away with as you know plan a b and c here but like that comes from a place of thinking it's it sounds like you're doing all the right things you know um and i would just i would just stick with it and you know keep publishing in these journals you know keep putting your work in keep putting yourself in the spaces where you're meeting people you know you never know like a lot of the time you know meeting other writers you know maybe one of them has an agent you know you can meet people through that means like there's Maybe
1: a- you being published in plowshares will mean that Eric will read your story and then want to reach out to you.
0: <laughs> reach out to me. <laughs> Actually, yeah, uh, just like
1: query Eric. <laughs> he really needs more good, uh, like uh,
0: So, um, yeah, it's that, that's I think where I land on it. I would say don't despair. You're, you know, you sign off here as, you know, deflated and far too literary. I would say that probably you are neither of those two things, or you shouldn't be, you know, like you're. I think that you should come away feeling a little bit bolstered and I doubt that you are far too literary. Um, one thing I'm just trying to think like if you've got a friend or someone who can use, who's can who got Publishers Marketplace or anything like that, a really good thing to do um, and obviously Publishers Marketplace costs money. You got to pay 25 bucks a month. But like if you can go find someone with your who friends. has it. Yeah, just like if you can go in there, what I would do is just start searching all of the books you like. And find out who the who the agents were, you know what I mean? Like this is something like for instance, I'm gonna someday, soon, hopefully, God, I'm gonna be <laughs> I'm gonna be querying my own novel, right? And one of my fancy little insider tricks that I'm gonna use, you know, as someone who does already work in the industry, is that I'm gonna use Publishers Marketplace to find out who the agent is on every book that I like. And I'm, or every book that I see as vaguely relevant to the one I'm doing, I'm gonna know exactly who it is that reps those things because I've got, there's a computer program that tells me, and I'm gonna query those people. And I would say that if you have the ability to do that, like if you can, you know, go in with a couple other writers and pay the 25 bucks, like not a bad way to do it. You know, like you can kind of find, you know, if you're, if the goal here or the problem you're having is that you don't quite know. Like, you're having trouble finding the right kind of agent who would be sympathetic or, you know, interested in working on the kind of stuff you write. Go, you know, do it that way. Like, find out who's demonstrably already doing it. And that's a great way to do it in a much more focused way than whatever, like, manuscript wish list or even, you know, any of these, like, query tracker sites. You know, there is, like, an industry database that keeps track of all this stuff. And you can get it. I don't know. Yeah, there is a a
1: difference between what people want and what they've they have done a record. and
0: what they've done exactly and that might and be
1: that might be the telling difference
0: anyway so that's that's probably a tip for anyone you know listening to this but you know I hate to give out tips that like require upfront cost you know and so I recognize that that is a tough thing to do but there is a database out there that we you and I use for our job regularly that features the listings of the agents for every book you'd ever want to know about and it's a it's a great tool if you can you know kind of pony up for it. So yeah, wonderful, something to think about. Okay,
1: well, good luck, my dear uh, asker of <laughs> Toluna May concern questions. Yeah. Um, I I hope that bolster use bolsters you somewhat. Um, thank you so much, all of you, for listening to this uh, springy episode of Print Run. Um, Remember, we have special episodes coming to you later this month and we will see you for a regular episode on Tuesday. Bye.